0: Hey there fellow entrepreneurs, if you're tired of complicated domain management, I've got the solution for you, Hover.com. Hover makes registering and managing domains a breeze. Their clean interface and hassle-free experience will save you time and frustration. No upsells, no hidden fees, just straightforward domain services. Plus, Hover offers top-notch customer support. Make your life easier, head over to milwaukeemafia.com hover and simplify your jo- domain journey today.
1: You're listening to Milwaukee Mafia, your podcast dose of Wisconsin mafia and true crime history.
0: Hey everybody, welcome back to another episode of Milwaukee Mafia. I'm Eric. I'm Gavin. And Gavin, we're back with another episode, and I see that it's a uh, John Rizzo because I just got the pleasure of printing off his notes for him. <laughs>
1: yeah. So it is. It is John Rizzo. So, how about that? So,
0: are we we are back on our normal timeline again?
1: Essentially, yes.
0: Essentially. Yes. So, what
1: does essentially mean? Well, so this this came off the timeline, yes. But we're again, we're going to we're going to backtrack a little to put in the context of the timeline. But yeah. Gotcha. But gotcha. yeah, but yes. This was this was picked out of 1961. So, yes, we are on our timeline.
0: And we're back in Milwaukee leaving Kenosha behind. Yes. He, he doesn't sound as confident in
1: that. <laughs> no, no, that, that I am not <laughs> at all confident, confident in because we are not. <laughs> okay. So, all right. Well, let's just get into it. So. All right. All right. Yeah. So I'm working through the timeline, and um, there's a few events that you know aren't major events, but they're, I'm going to use them as opportunities to kind of bring in new characters who we haven't really talked about yet. Um, and this time, as you mentioned, um, it's John Rizzo or John Charles Rizzo. Rizzo. Yeah. Uh, who was uh, essentially, we'll say that he is like the main contact for the Milwaukee Mafia in Racine. Okay. And that may not be true, but that's my understanding is that he's like the big guy in Racine. Um, not that there were a lot of guys in Racine, but he was the one that definitely got the most attention.
0: So you're you're thinking, okay, so now in Racine, were they Sicilian, or were they whatever, like we talked about in Kenosha last week, that they were from a different part of Italy? No,
1: Racine, at least the people that we're going to be talking about are are primarily Sicilian.
0: Okay, so was the Racine an actual mafia then, per se?
1: I don't think they had their own group. Okay, so
0: they more or less were kind of like a small subchapter of Milwaukee, we'll call it. Yeah, so
1: like in the... In the Milwaukee Mafia book, the white book, I don't remember if we covered this on the podcast or not, but um, there is a chapter in there about some Racine-Milwaukee overlap in, I, I think it's the 1930s. <laughs> it shows, shows how well I remember it. But, um, yeah, the Racine, like, didn't really have its own group of guys. There were just, like, outposts of—it of, of it was, like, an Italian neighborhood in Racine who, was asso- who were associated with the Milwaukee guys. So— and John Rizzo, more or less, because they weren't their own
0: mafia, he wasn't really a leader, but he was probably the closest thing they had to a leader because he was the one communicating mainly with Milwaukee. Yes. how this kind of plays out. Yes. Gotcha.
1: Yes. Yeah. I mean, maybe leader's not the right word. I don't know what the word is, but, you know, instead of having to go around and talk to everybody in Racine, you just talk to this guy. So, all right. So, Rizzo, uh, he's born around 1910. As a teenager, he takes up work at the J.I. Case Company. Um, I don't know what J.I. Case is or was. I know it's a big employer in Racine, um, but I don't know what they do specifically. Uh, He worked there for quite a while uh, until he was laid off after 11 years of work. Um, He worked himself up from the mailroom up to an assembler, but then there was a lack of work, so they let him go. Around the same time they let him go, he had also broken his left leg, which would lead him to walk with a limp for the rest of his life. I don't know if him being laid off changed the course of events in his life, but it times out that way. So maybe. Um, not long after being let go, he's arrested for being caught inside a quote-unquote gambling house. So he's inside some place where they have gambling going on. Uh, he's caught not long after that, again, for being in a gambling house. Then World War II happens. In World War II, he gets mixed up with some people, and we've, we've heard this story before, not this specific one, but this sort of a thing, where they figured out how to make money by counterfeiting ration stamps. <laughs> so Rizzo's involved in, in that same scheme, not this, not the one we talked about, but this own separate little group of guys who have counterfeited gas rationing stamps.
0: And that, was that the only thing during World War II they really rationed was gasoline, or was there other there was things? It was
1: gasoline. There was sugar. Um, there's a few other things. I was actually at the EAA in Oshkosh um, a couple weeks ago, and they have a display on, on rationing there. I thought that was really cool. They had like the actual ration stamp booklets.
0: Oh, cool. There.
1: Um, so sugar was a big one, and and gasoline was a big one. But there were a few other odds and ends depending on. You know what was available in certain territories, that sort of thing. I don't. I don't know specifically what it is about sugar that the military needed it, but apparently the military okay. needed sugar. So, yeah. Um, he gets caught, of course, because otherwise we wouldn't know about it. And they find that when he was caught, he had enough fake stamps on him for two thousand two hundred gallons of fuel. Uh, so it's pretty sizable. <laughs> that sounds like a lot. Yeah, but ultimately the charges against him were dismissed for lack of evidence somehow. Um, I would think having stamps on you is pretty good evidence, but it it gets tossed out. I have a note on here that says, hey, hey dummy, (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Rizzo's secret service file is number J-9-30215. You should order this. (laughs) So, (laughs) So I well, I, <laughs> so apparently that <laughs>
0: Gavin hasn't done that yet.
1: No, I did, but I was, but I wanted, I wanted to throw that in there. Like, so I, I mean, I know about this because of the newspaper, but there is actually a Secret Service file of this incident, um, and somehow I even know the number. So, <laughs> so uh, yeah. Um, I'll put it in a request for that right away. Yep. As soon as he's done with this podcast. As soon as I'm done now, with this it's... I'm sure I wrote that note 10 <laughs> years ago, but I'll do, I'll do it now. I'll really do it this time. <laughs> All right. Um, another guy named Frank DiNicolo was arrested in 1946 for being the keeper of a gambling house, and he was fined. Inside of the gambling house was a man named Santo Curro and John Rizzo. So again John Rizzo caught inside one of these gambling dens. This guy is always around the gambling. Just curious, you know, I meant to
0: ask this before. Yeah. You you had mentioned that as soon as he it seems like he started getting arrested for gambling. Mm-hmm. As soon as he got out like got fired or laid off from his job whatever it right. technically was. Do do you have any did were you able to find any sort of record of him? Before that like committing any sort of crime? No. Or is he pretty much clean until he, he loses a job and then then he just starts getting arrested left and right, basically?
1: No. So I I have part of this is taken I have like his rap sheet. Um I have a rap sheet, I believe it's from sixty three. could that could be wrong. But anyway, everything that he was ever arrested for up to that point. And yeah, there's nothing until these gambling arrests show up and the gambling arrests start not long after he's let go from his job and again i don't know that there's a direct connection there but it but, seems but it very kind of suggests <laughs> that, that when he loses regular employment he goes into the gambling field
0: and you said that he he hurt his leg and i wonder what was he doing oh we we don't really know we what don't the company know. was he's an
1: assembler but i don't know what j i case assembled
0: because i wonder if his his leg injury was just bad enough that he couldn't really go back and do yeah. what he was doing so he just kind of became a yeah. unemployable somebody guy.
1: listening in racine right now is like yelling like you idiots <laughs> don't you know J- I-, I don't <laughs> i know they're they're a major employer in racine but i don't know what they do and oh, Eric's bringing up the magic yeah. google <laughs> machine so we'll know in a couple minutes um but anyway so yeah so rizzo's again caught in a gambling den with some, uh, with some people. Um, another person caught with him, um, is Jack Maniachi. And Jack Maniachi isn't anybody. Like, he's never amongst anything. But he is, a, he is a brother of two guys who are huge, which is, uh, Vincent and, and August Maniachi, who will come up many, many times in our story. So, um, yeah, Jack's nobody, but kind of interesting. Finally, in 1951, he gets busted for something that's not gambling. Drunk driving
0: <laughs> <laughs> he gets arrested for drunk
1: driving, um, and in nineteen fifty one you know what the punishment was for drunk driving? No, he gets fined seventy five dollars oh well, that's not too too terrible. well, no. I don't
0: know I well, actually, but what when is this thing? i mean seventy five dollars uh, is probably a lot more money than we're thinking oh, of oh,
1: it is, it is, but I think even adjusted for inflation, that's not terrible,, no. yeah, so all right. He takes up work at the TikTok club in Milwaukee. And not long after that, he is again arrested for gambling. It's just This guy just constantly getting picked up for gambling. And this time he was fined $25 for the gambling. So these, these gambling fines aren't huge, by any means. Arrested for running the game uh, that he was caught at was Jeff Covelli. And Jeff Covelli will come up again. Um, he uh will be directly involved in a story we talk about, a kidnapping, a murder in Kenosha. And he, I don't know this firsthand, but the reports kind of say that he's not right in the head. Like, he's completely oh, crazy. You can't trust him. He's going to just stab you for no reason. <laughs> um So, at this point, I don't know. Maybe he's okay, but the... But that's the reputation he gets later on, is that this Jeff Covelli guy is crazy. Um, also, I guess worth noting, is Jeff Covelli is the son of Red Covelli. And Which that Red Covelli name rings a total bell. It should, because Red Covelli was one of the guys arrested in, in, the mur- in murder. our murder of the guy, the real estate guy. In the last episode. In the last episode. Oh, crazy. Yeah. So the guy who was let out of jail came home and had the giant party at his house. Mm-hmm. This is his son.
0: Interesting.
1: He's probably at that party.
0: It just it just keeps, you know, it's just like a big, long, everything's interconnected in yep. this world. Yeah. So did would you like to know? It's kind of actually surprising. I have your answer to what J.I. Case yeah, is. Yeah, what's J.I. Case? So if I understand it correctly, I believe J.I. Case is Case Tractors. Oh, okay. You know, Case tractors, like the farm tractors and stuff. That's okay. what it, it says that they're they are one of the largest industrial companies with concerns in natural gas production, automotive, automotive parts packaging, and chemi- chemicals. And it says Case is the second largest maker of farmer farm equipment. Okay. So. Well, if it's it's oh, case- I see, I see Tenneco, because JI Case is owned by Tenneco, which is the natural gas production automobile company in j.i case is the farm company okay so they must make case tractors okay which i would have never guessed that case tractors were made in wisconsin
1: so we learned something all right so yeah well and (laughs) see and i didn't know and now i know (laughs) which actually yeah and another thing that a, a big a big thing that we'll be talking about in future episodes is um american motors and I sure a lot of people, you know, are familiar with American Motors, but that company doesn't exist anymore. But there used to be a major, major, like, automobile manufacturer in southeast Wisconsin. Uh, but yeah, they're gone. So, um, but but apparently Case is still around. So, yeah. So, all right. Still a thing. All right. So, yeah. So, Rizzo, Covelli, some other guys um, are running gambling out of what they call a cigar store. That's what the... Uh, So the sign-out front says it's a cigar store. But when the police go in there, there's a lot of empty shelves. Um, There's only one cigarette machine in there, which is not much. I mean, you can find that in any bar. Um, But they did find plenty of cards and poker tables. (laughs) So uh, not, not much cigar action going on in this cigar store. On one occasion, the police followed Rizzo from Racine up to the Plaza Hotel in Milwaukee. On January 11th, 1955, why was he staying over at a hotel a couple miles from home? This apparently was made clear when, not long after, they saw a blonde woman going to his room. (laughs) Why? I don't know. I don't know. But apparently, he didn't want his wife to know about this blonde woman. So, uh, yeah, they didn't do anything about it. But they they made note. They're like, oh, yeah, okay. Uh, the phone service at the cigar store was disconnected, and there were a number of, of people who hung out there, as I said. Um, John Rizzo, Jeff Covelli. Also starting to hang out there is William Covelli, who is another son of Red Covelli. And, and this guy, his nickname was Weezer. And Weezer will come up a lot. He's actually a pretty major figure down the, down the road. Another guy who hangs out there is Buster Ballastieri, And Buster. Um, despite the way that it sounds when i say it um, his name is actually spelt different but he is he's like an in-law he's he's closely related to that family Uh, a check of the phone records revealed that there were a lot of calls going between this cigar store and gallagher's nightclub in milwaukee and gallagher's was run by frank Bellastri. so we see that you know, even though this looks like, oh, we've got this cigar store run by Rizzo and maybe the Cavelli brothers, apparently they're directly somehow we well, don't know, you know, we didn't record the phone conversations, but they're regularly talking to somebody at Gallagher's. Here's where this comes up in the timeline. Here's an incident. So we're up to nineteen sixty one. Um an early Saturday morning, April fifteenth, nineteen sixty one, a man with a stocking over his head cuts the phone line outside of John Rizzo's residence, which was at, for anybody who cares, was at 1906 Emerson Road in Racine. I don't know Racine, so that means nothing to me. But if if you know Racine, you know where Emerson Road is. That's where Rizzo lived. Um, The man then broke in. Rizzo was not home, but his wife was. Um, And she was kept in what they called the television room. I don't know if that's the living room or something different. She was kept in the television room until her husband returned. Rizzo returned about an hour later, and the man was still inside the house. Rizzo had only $50 in his pocket, so the burglar stole Rizzo's green Lincoln and then abandoned it on Highway 38 in Oak Creek, across the street from St. John's Lutheran Church. The muffler was busted, and the glove compartment was broken into, where he stole a pair of binoculars. (laughs) Rizzo had an arrangement with the Racine Private Police, which I don't know what that is. I apparently it's a security company.
0: Yeah, like would Racine have been so small at this point in time that they just didn't even have a police department?
1: They they had to have a police department, right? I don't know. They, I mean, Racine's not a Racine. It's not a small town. It hasn't been a small town. Yeah, like, I don't. I don't know. Yeah. But. I think, I think it's just a security. Like some company. sort of security. But, but, but yeah, you shouldn't call it private police. That's kind of misleading. I mean. Anyway, well, he had an arrangement with them to check on his home Friday nights and early Saturday mornings. Why that? I don't know. Um, but that was the arrangement. And Mrs. Rizzo was supposed to remove a card from their window if something was wrong. So that if they drove by and saw the card, oh, okay, everything's fine here. If the card's missing, uh oh. Something is wrong. And if the card is missing, they were allowed to break in if necessary. Well, the private police went by, did their check while this was happening. Good for them. Did their job. They contacted the sheriff's department. But it's really unclear how much they were really involved because Rizzo ended up finding his car all by himself. The police didn't even find his car. (laughs) Um, they did interview Mrs. Rizzo, who said she could not identify the man, but noticed that he smelled like he had been drinking and he carried a gun. They also interviewed Rizzo, who said the man called him by name and knew that he ran the craps game uh, in Kenosha on Friday nights. The man was after the craps money, and when he found out that Rizzo only had his personal money on him, decided not to rob him. Rizzo did not know the man, but he told the police that he was very polite and spoke very good English. <laughs> um, so, yeah, so so I don't know what's going on here. There's, apparently, there's a guy who knows that Rizzo's running his craps game. And so he's like, instead of robbing the craps game, I'll just go to Rizzo's house and take the money from him directly. But this has got to be a pretty scary situation, like for the wife.
0: Yeah, and doesn't he go there and because the craps game money isn't there, he just like doesn't take anything?
1: Well, he steals the car. Oh, he steals the car. He steals okay. the car. But yeah, so he goes he cuts the phone line. He breaks in. He's got a mask on and a gun. It's only the wife home. Now, I don't care. I mean, maybe he's very polite. This <laughs> is a very <laughs> polite guy. But if it but if you if you got a mask a gun and you cut the phone line, I imagine that doesn't matter how polite you are. It's a pretty (laughs) scary situation. But yeah. And then he, yeah, he leaves. He steals the car, abandons the car, and steals binoculars out of the car. (laughs) So, an an interesting situation. It all seems like a very peculiar story. It is. It's, it's, something is not right with this story. And I don't know if it's just something, if this guy is not, like, right in the head or something. I'm not sure what. But this doesn't sound to me like how something like this would normally go. <laughs> 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 and I just like, and we've heard this in, in, because
0: I assume the quote by the lady that the guy was very nice and spoke very good English. Yeah. That's like a something we typically, another one of those weird things that the news reports on, like in the last episode you pointed out when the news report said that the 38-year-old woman yes. was very attractive. This is another bizarre thing you see in the newspaper all the time. Back then, yeah, and and I just wonder, like, like even though the person is robbing you, do you just say, it, were people just so nice back then that they just didn't say anything bad about people or what?
1: I don't know. You get what I'm saying? I like don't it's know. just weird. <laughs> I but- don't know. But yeah, so this so this comes up. This is why it's in the timeline at this point, is because of this home invasion. Um but which is actually turns out to not be a major event. It sounds like it could have been. I mean, this could have been absolutely terrible, but because nothing really happened, it's not. But this is really a point in time where like Rizzo gets noticed because when he's getting busted for these small time gambling things and paying ten twenty dollar fines, like big deal, no. but at this point where he's apparently considered a big enough deal that people are gonna break into his house to get the money um now law enforcement's really, really noticing him. That. So, so is he going to be
0: a person that's going to come up over and over again as we progress along this new timeline
1: he'll he'll come up repeatedly he He will remain a major gambling figure for the rest of his life so okay um he's never he's never like a violent guy no, but he's it. mostly just running tables and stuff yeah, like that right but important for people to remember gambling although not violent it's not the stuff that, you know that makes like the big headlines that's where the money is mm-hmm. so if you're making a lot of money running a craps table the mafia loves you like, Ex- especially since he was probably running all these
0: tables down in racine yeah so that's like an entirely untapped market for them as well
1: right right so all right so the kenosha police chief stanley hockdahl who he will come up again, and people might... I think we might have mentioned him in some other episode. Maybe we didn't, because he wouldn't have come up in the timeline yet, but we might have mentioned him. I don't know. He's a major figure in my book, Shallow Grave. People are interested. (laughs) Go pick up a Shallow Grave. Uh, I'm doing plugs today, man. We're doing the plugs. So uh, it's a great book. You should really read it. Anyway, so the police chief... He goes he meets with uh William Cavelli Weezer Cavelli um and John Rizzo in may nineteen sixty one He goes uh, "I want to talk to you boys about your gambling operation um inside this cigar store um like he's like, you know, I don't really care, but come on guys <laughs> um Rizzo told the police chief he was very upfront about it i'm." Surprised how upfront about it, but he told the police chief that he had operated gambling out of that cigar store location for 14 years. <laughs> and they're like, "Well, I guess we dropped the ball on this one, huh?" Yeah, and but the chief's concern wasn't so much the gambling. His concern was after they had run the phone records and they saw the, this Gallagher's connection. He's like, "I don't want you guys dealing." With Frank Bellastri, like if if Frank Bellastri is the guy behind this, I don't want any part of that. Like, stop. Mm-hmm. Um, and Rizzo says, "No, no, 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 no." He goes, "That's not, it's not it at all." I live in Racine. Cavelli lives in Kenosha. We're the guys taking the money? So the some of it's going to Kenosha. Some of it's going to Racine. The money's not going back to Milwaukee. Promise you, it's not. He goes, "This is this is a quote unquote." peanut operation you <laughs> like the total money we invest is like a thousand dollars it's not a big deal don't worry not a mob thing he did tell the chief he goes yes it's true that buster bellistry would be there on occasion he says but that's a charity case um buster was broke so you know so we paid him fifteen dollars a day just to work the front door that's it that's <laughs> the only reason he's there and then hawkdale said well just so you guys know in the future whether this is a local game or a bigger operation, don't be surprised if we start prosecuting you. Um, so that, that brings us up to the timeline where now we've got this, this big-time Racine gambler and his buddy who's a big-time Kenosha gambler, and are they or aren't they working with Frank Balestrieri? Spoiler, they are. <laughs> okay, um, That's kind of what I assume. But um, yeah, up at this point, now it, they started like we figure out that they're the Racine and Kenosha connection to this big gambling network.
0: So now my my, my question is is that at this point in time, so they, they've already been come down on for this cigar shop? Yes. So the cops have come down and said, we're going to start busting this place if we know you're running it. Yeah. Do they stop running it and move to a different location, or do they just like, no, we'll just keep running it here and <laughs> – even though the cops are completely on to us,
1: I don't remember exactly how it plays out. I mean, they definitely don't stop their gambling operation. I don't. Right. Rec- I don't recall if they move or not. But um, these two guys do not. <laughs> <laughs> they definitely do not stop. They don't stop, and they don't really hide it very well. Everybody knows exactly what they're doing. But yeah, like we'll we'll find out later on that like the chief, the chief is kind of a sketchy guy, and it's. It's hard to say, like judging it today compared to judging it then. Um, in the early '60s, gambling was really, really a big deal. Like it was a problem. Um, and actually, right about this time, 1961, uh, the federal government and the the federal uh, attorney general under Robert Kennedy, under Bobby Kennedy, um, they started passing these federal anti-gambling laws under the idea that gambling was how the mafia was making its money which is true so they said if we go after gambling we can take down the mafia we can take down the mafia we can bankrupt these guys um so the reasoning was solid but yeah the thing is is even though like then the federal government started really cracking down on this it's weird because when we look back on it based on the way we think about things today like again reasoning sound you know Take out the money. You take out the mob. But a lot of these guys who go down, and these guys are serious, serious guys here. These two. But a lot of people are like getting, start getting picked up for really stupid things by today's standards. Being like, oh, you bet fifty dollars on the Super Bowl. <laughs> yeah. yeah, we're gonna <laughs> we're, we're gonna throw we're you in jail, jail for yeah. a while. Yeah, yeah, which like today sounds like an absolute joke. But back then, like you'd get front page headlines for busting up a Super Bowl party. Mm-hmm. so it's really weird like how this shifted from being like this is like the the primary focus like law enforcement has to break up gambling whereas today it would be like who cares <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah you know so it's it's going to be interesting seeing how big the 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 fight is between the gamblers and the law enforcement when some of the stuff i'm going to tell you that they That they break up. You're going to be like, why did they even bother? They're breaking that up. Because it's going to sound stupid today. But at the time, what they thought they were doing was stop cutting out the small guy was breaking up the bigger guy. And maybe they were right. Maybe that was the right way to do it. But it just sounds so dumb today.
0: And it almost sounds like the progression of like like marijuana. Sure. Where, where now they're getting the, more and more to the point where it's like, why are we even still trying to push this? But yeah. back in, like, what, the 70s, 80s, I mean, this was a big thing. Right, right, right. You know, and and it kind of makes you think, like, in 30 years, are they going to start going after illegal gambling like crazy again for some reason? They're going to find a reason oh, why,
1: you know. I, I think that ship has sailed. I think, I think, <laughs> I think you know, I think once so... In, Here's your here's your history for the here's your history part for the episode uh for 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 younger people and I'm including you and I in younger people here believe it or not okay. <laughs> Even though we're, we're in our 40s but we're we're younger people for this um in the late 80s the federal government struck a deal where the the Indian Nations Indian Reservations could have casinos mm-hmm. I mean obviously you know that they have casinos right but but that came about in the late 1980s and I think once that happened, I mean, you can't go back on that. Yeah, you can't go back on that. Like at that point, you've you've legitimized gambling. You've yeah. you've got you've got the casinos, um, Vegas obviously, but Vegas is its own case because Nevada just doesn't care. Yeah, <laughs> um, but um, you got state lotteries. I mean, you got all this stuff now. Where I don't think you could ever go back the other direction.
0: Yeah, and maybe you're right, but. But it might not just be targeting those things, but targeting other gambling right. things that surface or whatever, yeah,
1: I think there's something that's only going and I mean similar like how you' you brought up like the marijuana stuff, I mean so here in here in Wisconsin, it's not legal, but there is the increasing push at like the police and district attorney level to just ignore it like on when people get caught right. with a little bit because they're like. What's the point? They're like, what's the? They're like, what's <laughs> yeah. the point? Like, this person's not really causing trouble, and especially when like all the surrounding states, it's, it's like legal. legal. It's it's like, how do you even justify it at that point? Mm-hmm. And it's it's not going to go back the other way. Um, Michigan is not suddenly going to be like, oh. Oops, we're yeah, gonna, we're gonna criminalize it again. Yeah. It's, it won't happen.
0: That's true. That's true. It it's won't just happen. gonna There's be certain
1: things that once you pass that law, it just stays
0: right. And instead, what it just happens is it just becomes a different drug, and then a different drug, right? And a different drug, right? You know,
1: well, and I mean, this is obviously now we're on our tangent, <laughs> but like. That's that's a whole other issue because there's there's some countries like Portugal who are like super crazy lenient and like pretty much everything is legal. Mm-hmm. Um I I don't know that I ever see this country going that way because there's definitely a good reason that we don't <laughs> let people just y- do do heroin. heroin all over <laughs> yeah. the place. Um but uh yeah. But yeah, that's that's what going, bringing it back. I mean, that's like that's the gambling thing. Like this at point, it was like this is the fever pitch. The nineteen sixties are like, oh my god, this is the big scourge, and then it's gonna fade away. Right.
0: Interesting. All right. Well, is there anything else you want to go over for this one, or
1: no? This is pretty much just to bring uh, John, Rizzo. bring in John Rizzo. So going forward, when he comes up, you know who he is. He's he's got this long history of gambling, and he went from being caught many times in gambling dens to actually running the gambling games himself.
0: Cool. All right, then hit him up with this uh, with that famous contact info.
1: Yeah, So if you want to email, you email Milwaukee Mafia, all one word, at gmail dot com. Um, you can go to milwaukeemafia.com, dot com where. Uh, show notes, and other things are posted, you can find me on Facebook. As I say, my least favorite <laughs> because Facebook buries messages. But if you do find uh that, you can message me there. Or at the very least, I, I do encourage you liking my author Facebook page because I do post multiple updates a week on there if you want to know uh, what I'm up to or see me posting pictures. And actually... Can I can I throw something in here at this point? Or you
0: can do whatever you want. It's your podcast. Man. Okay. I was like, I don't know. I don't know if you're like,
1: man, you're he's really running long. We should we got to get out of here. Um, no, I want to. I want to talk about something. Okay. Yeah. Not related to this episode at all. Okay. So the people who do follow the Facebook page um, will at this point have noticed that twice now I have posted pictures of car bombs. Uh, On on the Facebook page, two different car bomb pictures, but both pictures of car bombs. (laughs) And both times I said, I'm working on something really big. I can't talk about it, but I'm very excited. And we assure you that he's not building car bombs. I'm not building car bombs. (laughs) Um, And as as we record this today, I still don't think I can say what it is. Um, I didn't sign anything saying that I can't talk about it. So like, if I wanted to, I could do it. There's like nobody really stopping me, but um, I'm not going to, out of respect and politeness for the people involved, because it's not my project, and I think they don't really want people to know about it yet. So, um, but um, I will say this: there, this is this is the the most I've said publicly. So this is like this is like a scoop here. If you made it this far in the episode, you get a little scoop. Um And Eric knows a little bit more about it, yep, but but anyway, so I will tell you there is going to be a written portion of this project. There is going to be an audio portion of this project, and some of the people involved, besides myself, are some nationally known journalists, some federal prosecutors, some former police officers, a man who served time in prison for mafia crimes um a former undercover FBI agent um and I think that's about as much as I can say without actually saying any of the names I mean this is this is a pretty I'm very excited to be a part of it because um in my eyes like I'm the low guy I'm the low guy <laughs> on the totem here like I'm not I'm not a federal prosecutor I'm not a, an undercover FBI agent you know so like these guys are like people like I look up to. Like even if I don't always agree with them, sometimes I think they do terrible things. But just just like, but they are to me like really big figures. Um, so it's been really exciting seeing and hearing about this project come together. There's been um, documents that have been coming out that have never been made public. Hundreds, if not thousands, of pages of documents that have never been made public coming out. Um, so this this is huge, and I think anybody who's interested in this podcast, is going to be blown away, no pun intended, (laughs) by by the stuff that comes out. And and just to tie a bow on this, yes, it is related to car bombs, (laughs) um, (laughs) but none of us are making car bombs. But it all comes back and ties into uh, something related to car bombs. So um, that's as much as I feel comfortable saying without giving it away. And I'm going to
0: give... a little bit more tidbit because I can remember when Gavin originally told me about the possibility of this happening. And I had never seen Gavin more excited about anything in my life. So, yeah. so this is a pretty big deal.
1: Yeah. So I, I really hope that people get excited for it as I am. Cause I, as we record this today, I was at the, uh, at the recording place yesterday, and I, I was just thrilled, thrilled just to be in the room with these people, so <laughs> it was it was really a big deal for me.
0: Very cool. All right, then we'll wrap this episode up, and as always, hop on over to com, click that Patreon link, and sign up, get yourself access to some bonus episodes, and we will be back next week with a patreon episode two weeks with a regular mafia episode thanks everybody for tuning in all right
1: thank you thanks for tuning in to the milwaukee mafia podcast join us next time for another look back at wisconsin mafia and true crime history